If you've been looking for a comprehensive Bible school curriculum that explores redemptive realities in Jesus Christ grounded in the Word of God, look no further. The goal of this podcast is to spread the life-transforming Word of God throughout the world for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ in what Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. There's such an untapped potential for Christians to enter into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Together we will discover what Jesus has done for us by providing such a great salvation and how to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Each podcast season will cover one of the books that I have compiled over the years. You can find a complete listing of my Christian education material on my website at www.wordinspire.com. You're welcome to download these ebooks for free in PDF format for your own personal or ministry use. So let's explore these biblical truths and principles together that will absolutely transform our lives. God bless. Welcome to the Word of Life study series, Our Glorious Inheritance. So if the Holy Spirit is received through the new birth, as stated in John 20.22, why would Jesus tell the apostles, who were presently born again at the time of Acts 1.3, to wait in the city of Jerusalem for the gift my Father promised? I thought that they had already received the Holy Spirit in John 20.22. Is this another Holy Spirit? Obviously, there's only one Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 4.4. Jesus was talking about another experience with the Holy Spirit. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit is today as it was then, essential, necessary, and vital to the success of fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus commanded them not to begin this quest until they received this additional power from the Holy Spirit. According to Jesus, This additional experience after the new birth is not an option, or for just a few people. Jesus had commanded that everyone who is saved to receive this equipping with the power from the Holy Spirit in order to carry on the ministry of proclaiming the kingdom of God as he has done. Acts 1.3 After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The context of this passage of scripture occurred after the resurrection of Jesus. This was after he had provided redemption for all mankind. As a result, the new birth was made available for the first time. Now, through this salvation experience, the Holy Spirit was given to those who were born again, 
as it is today, the Holy Spirit within. John 20.19 On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. After he said this, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Usually the very last thing a person says before they leave is the most important concept or instruction that needs to be understood. Don't leave home without it. Born again children of God, receive this wonderful gift of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. A word to the wise should be sufficient. The Spirit Upon There has been a lot of confusion in the body of Christ over this issue of a second distinct experience that a Christian is commanded to receive after the new birth. If this experience was automatically incorporated in the new birth, then Jesus would not have needed to make it a command. One may say, well, do I have to go to the upper room in Jerusalem to receive this power of the Holy Spirit? Fortunately, for us, the answer is no. The rest of the book of Acts records other people receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit outside of Jerusalem. In the previous episode, we had explored the realities of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the born-again believer. Yet there is a dual work of the Spirit, as outlined by Scripture, that we want to explore now. Jesus referred to this second distinct experience after the new birth as being baptized with the Holy Spirit. John one thirty three. I would have not known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. We know according to John 20.22 20, that the apostles of the Lamb were born again and received the Holy Spirit within. But notice the terminology Jesus used in Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In other words, the Holy Spirit upon. The Spirit within and the Spirit upon is the dual work of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit within refers to his ministry through the new birth to make the person a new creation and to abide within him or her forever. But the Holy Spirit upon is the equipping for service, the power and ability to fulfill the Great Commission, not in our own strength, but through the power of God. Jesus further illustrates this distinction as recorded in the Gospel of John, attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to water. Notice that water is the same, whether it is the well or the river. However, the activity of the water is different. Likewise, whether we are talking about the new birth or the baptism in the Holy Spirit, in both experiences, we are still talking about the one and the same Holy Spirit, just a different flow in which he manifests himself in our lives. So first, let's look at the well of the new birth. The key word in this passage is eternal life, which is referring to the new birth. Notice also that Jesus said that the spring of water is for us to drink and enjoy. Jesus referred to this well of salvation as a first-person experience, 
a water that satisfies the desires of the human heart. This spiritual thirst quencher is for the individual receiving it, not so much for others. This well of salvation in our spirit is primarily for us to enjoy. So let's read this text, John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So someone may ask, So how does one draw from this well that is within us, so that I can take a drink? The Word of God instructs us to use joy, which is part of our spiritual nature, to draw this water of eternal life the life and nature of God, into our whole being. Everything in the Christian experience requires faith. Faith comes from hearing the word and operates out of our spirit, not our body or our feelings or our soul in the reasoning area. In 2 Timothy 1.6, the Holy Spirit through Paul instructs us to fan into flame the gift of God. Start laughing at the problems of life out loud, even if we don't feel like it. Faith is an action. Until we are applying the word, it is not faith. If it is not faith in God's word, then nothing will happen. Start thanking and praising God. Quote scripture, shout the victory. This is placing a demand on the well of salvation within us. Soon a gusher of eternal life will start bubbling up and over into every area of our life. Then we can drink until we are satisfied. Isaiah 12.3 With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Acts 3.19, Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Let's now look at the rivers of the infilling. Obviously, Jesus is describing a different event from the well analogy. Now, Jesus is using springs and rivers to describe the impact that the baptism of the Holy Spirit will have on the individual. At the time Jesus said this, the resurrection had not yet occurred. So this subsequent experience to the well of salvation had not yet been poured out until the day of Pentecost, the rivers of living water from the baptism in the Holy Spirit. With a river, there is a forward thrust of power and volume that flows out from its source. As if the well was not enough, now Jesus satisfies our spiritual thirst with a torrent of power and grace. Since this river flows out of our spirit through the Holy Spirit, This virtue of power is meant to bless others, particularly for witnessing to the lost with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. John 7.37 On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, The Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Let's look at verse 38 in the King James Version. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 38 in the Amplified. He who believes in me, who cleaves to and trusts in and relies on me, 
as the scriptures has said, out from his innermost being, springs and rivers of living water shall flow continuously. Now the third aspect of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is power to be a witness. The Greek word for power in Acts 1.8 is dunamis, which means miraculous power, ability, abundance, might, working of miracles, power, strength, violence, mighty, wonderful work. Our English word dynamite sounds a lot like this Greek word, doesn't it? It's no wonder that Jesus told the early church to wait to be endued with this explosive power of the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill the Great Commission. Here's another great scripture that speaks along these lines, Luke 24:45. Then Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The early church, as it was recorded in the book of Acts, was able to perform those exploits only after they had received the second experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit subsequent to the new birth. It is self-evident that this same equipping with power is available to believers today, just as the same mandate to fulfill the Great Commission has been conferred upon us, so is the necessity to be clothed with power from on high. Acts 2.38 Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Do you remember how the apostles were before Jesus had left the earth? They were a ragtag group of bumbling, fearful, and doubting followers. This fact is quite evident as one reads through the Gospels. Then something happens in the book of Acts. Once the day of Pentecost had taken place in Acts chapter 2, these men and women were all at once transformed into mighty men and women of God. Coincidence? No. It is the effect of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 1.8, just as Jesus had said. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. While Jesus was on earth, the apostles were able to perform miracles in his name. But what would happen when Jesus had left? Jesus said that he was sending another helper to take his place. Through the administration of the Spirit in the book of Acts, the ministry of Jesus continued. The Holy Spirit worked through the early church as he had done through the ministry of Jesus. Acts 10.38 How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Acts chapter 5 verse 12 The apostles 
performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. So what sets Christianity apart from the other dead, man-made religions? The love and power of God in demonstration. 1 Corinthians 4.20 For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Acts 4.13 When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Consider these fishermen, who were ignorant and uneducated men. Yet, with this equipping power of God from the Holy Spirit, they spoke with such wisdom and conviction that the educated and learned could only watch and marvel. Consider Stephen in Acts 6.8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. Now notice Stephen was not an apostle, and yet God worked miracles through him. God also had chosen educated men like Luke, who God had used to write the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Even Paul, a devout religious leader who in today's standards had numerous doctorates in theology, these men did not depend on their natural abilities, but who put their faith in God like the uneducated apostles. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit and with power. That's what they all had in common. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul said, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest in men's wisdom, but on God's power. The condition of receiving this gift is like anything else that we receive from God, by grace through faith. It is based upon a promise. The early church was born again right after the resurrection. They could have disobeyed the Lord and not tarried in Jerusalem, waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Sadly today, countless Christians are thoroughly born again, but they have not received the promise of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. How do I know? Well, I was one of them for a time. The initial sign. So how does one know whether or not they have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's examine the famous event that ushered in the church age, the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
We don't speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit. We get filled with the Spirit first, and as a result, we are enabled to speak with other tongues, with the Spirit of God giving us the utterance. The initial sign of one receiving the Spirit upon, or the baptism with the Holy Spirit, is the ability to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gives the individual utterance. In other words, speaking in a language unknown to the one speaking, because the origin of the utterance is from the Holy Spirit, not from their intellect. This language may be another human language as illustrated in Acts chapter 2. Note it is the individual believer who does the actual speaking. The Holy Spirit supplies the words to speak. The Holy Spirit does not speak in tongues for us or take control of our tongues and make us speak. We do the speaking in tongues as often as we wish and the Holy Spirit helps us in speaking that utterance. Acts 2 verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. At other times, the individual is flowing with the Holy Spirit in a heavenly language that not even the devil himself or any other person knows what is being said. 1 Corinthians 13.1 states, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. 1 Corinthians 14.2 For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Chapter 14, verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you're praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. At last, God has provided a means to break free from the limitation of our minds and express our heartfelt praises and thanksgiving to God in the language of our spirit. The Holy Spirit, along with our spirit, has a direct link of communication to the very throne of God. The result is glory given to God and deep edification for the individual. God has given us a devotional gift by which we can pray in tongues as much as we want for personal edification. As Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now the Greek word edify comes from the word edifice, or to build up. The Amplified Version states, He who speaks in a strange tongue edifies and improves himself. Greek scholars tell us that a more accurate word would be to charge, as in charging a battery. So it's no doubt that God intended the Spirit-filled Christian to daily build and charge their spiritual batteries by speaking in other tongues. 1 Corinthians 14.4 He who speaks in a tongue edifies him or herself. Remember back at the day of Pentecost, some thought that the 120 that were in the upper room and had received the infilling of the Holy Spirit were drunk with wine. They were right, but it was the new wine of the Holy Spirit. 
The ability to speak in a language unknown to the speaker does not denote intoxication. Rather, it was the appearance, the staggering, laughing, and falling down under the power of the Holy Spirit that's implied here. Acts 2.13 Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Note that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul further substantiates this concept of spiritual drunkenness that spills over into the natural body. At last, God has brought the real article to the world, having a good time in God. We know that Satan never originates anything. He corrupts that which is meant for good and perverts God's creation for evil. The devil's idea of partying and debauchery is a feeble substitute for God's original design of a good time. In my opinion, there is nothing more fun, fulfilling, and glorifying to God than for him to blast his saints with a Holy Ghost party, where the bread of life and the new wine is overflowing, getting full of the Spirit by singing drinking songs. Spiritual songs refer to songs given by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, speaking in tongues was not a last-minute idea that God just threw in there as a bonus to the day of Pentecost. This capacity to connect our spirit with our mouth was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Isaiah 28.11 in the King James Version For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Here is another benefit of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. It amplifies the love of God and the ability to exercise faith with greater effectiveness. The inherent boldness to serve God propels the believer into greater levels of fruitfulness and productivity in the harvest. For believers, there is no doubt that the baptism in the Holy Spirit amplifies the effect of the new creation experience in our lives. Speaking in tongues is a great way to keep ourselves from worldly contamination when we are in the midst of vulgarity. We just need to pray in tongues quietly to ourselves. Jude 1.20 But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Receiving the Baptism of the Holy Spirit Of course, the Word of God is our final authority for all matters that pertains to life and conduct. There is definitely a biblical pattern that was followed in the book of Acts. Even though the 120 believers waited in the upper room for the day of Pentecost to come, before they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, we do not have to wait for the Holy Spirit today. Jesus had gone to the Father as he had promised and has poured out the Holy Spirit. Now it is only up to the individual believer to receive. Acts chapter 2 verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. 
and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. After the day of Pentecost had passed, the early church in Jerusalem slowly began to go out and fulfill the Great Commission. Of course, this was only after the Great Persecution began. The first stop was Samaria. Philip the Evangelist conducts a revival meeting, and many are saved and born again. Acts chapter 8 verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. But when they had believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Yet none of them had received the subsequent baptism in the Holy Spirit. They had just been born again. Thank God for that. So the church in Jerusalem sends a support team after Philip the Evangelist, who subsequently moves on to his next crusade. In order to introduce the new believers to this second experience in the Holy Spirit, we see in Acts 8.14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, did you notice that the laying on of hands is appropriated, and the new believers were baptized in the Holy Spirit? Even Simon the sorcerer observed this fact in Acts 8.18. When Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right with God. Now, what's really important to note here is that we never lay hands on people to be born again. No, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 makes it very clear. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So this had nothing to do with the new birth. Laying on of hands was imparting the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That is one method we see in the book of Acts. This same pattern is repeated in the book of Acts in other passages of scriptures as well. The subject of laying on of hands and the instruction on baptisms is found in Hebrews 6.2. The instruction about baptisms and the laying on of hands. Notice that baptisms is in the plural. There are multiple baptisms we see in the New Testament. Acts 9.17 Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 19 verse 1. When Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, 
Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. It should be noted that the manifestation of the simple gift of prophecy is demonstrated here as it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. In the book of Acts, not all believers received exclusively from the laying out of hands. God can't be put in a box or explained by a formula. Certainly, there are biblical principles, patterns, and precedents that we need to follow. However, God loves to rattle our theological cages ever so often, just as he frequently had done to the Christian Jewish mindset of that day. Acts chapter 10 verse 44. When Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now in Acts chapter 11 verse 15, Peter goes on to say, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Don't be fooled by some misguided individuals who claim that it is possible for a believer to receive something counterfeit. There is only one Holy Spirit, no substitutes. Luke 11 verse 11. Jesus said, Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit through simple faith in God's word, on our own, or have another spirit-filled believer lay hands on us. Whichever way we receive this gift, it takes faith. Let's open our mouth wide. This can be an act of faith. Breathe in and proclaim, I am receiving the Holy Spirit right now by faith. When Jesus said, come and drink, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. When a person takes a drink of water, they open their mouth and take a drink and receive. We can't take a drink of water with our mouth closed, and we can't receive the Holy Spirit with our mouth closed either, like trying to carry on a conversation with our mouth closed. The mind cannot enter into this experience. It comes from the heart. So let's lift our voice and give volume to those supernatural sounds coming up out of our spirit. By faith, we work our tongue and lips as if it were speaking our native language. We need to expect the Holy Spirit to give us the words. Our tongue will seem to want to say something. We just need to yield to the Spirit's unction and speak. This is the faith part. 
lifting our voice and trusting God for the utterance and simply giving volume to those sounds that come out of our spirit. Now again, this belongs to born-again believers. You have to be born again as a prerequisite to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives the utterance. The person does the speaking or the talking. So the supernatural part is what is being said. It is not who is talking. Don't just stop after a minute or two. Just go right on speaking, praising and or singing in other tongues unto God. We should continue speaking until a free, clear language comes and we have the inner assurance that we have received. The word inspiration means breathing in the Spirit of God. By looking to God and breathing Him in by faith, we can thus relax and drink in or be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are two ways that utterance comes. Many people hear the supernatural words forming inside their inner being, and the words bubble up until they are spoken through the mouth. Another way is by a fluttering of the lips. The candidate may feel a tightening of the jaw, or their tongue may feel thick. The Holy Spirit does this because the lips and the tongue are the organs we use to form words. This is the way he gives us utterance or prompts us to speak. Remember, though, that we have to speak out the sounds ourselves of our own free will. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He won't take over and take control and make us do something we don't want to do. We have to yield to him. Note, if other people are present helping another believer receive, they themselves should only be praying in the Spirit or quietly in their native language. Some well-meaning people have adopted all kinds of counterproductive, unscriptural, and distracting methods in so-called assisting others. Remember to always start out by building the candidate's faith in the Word. Show them a number of scriptures on the subject. Instruct them that they are the ones who do the talking and the Holy Spirit will supply the utterance. Next, lead them in a prayer to receive and allow them to pray for a while, praying tongues along with them. Finally, give them a brief teaching in 1 Corinthians 14 about making praying in tongues a daily devotional lifestyle. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a gift, not a reward, and is received by grace through faith in God's Word. The Holy Spirit and Intercession One of the most vital aspects of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives is to aid us in our prayer lives. Along with being our teacher, he guides us in our prayers to the Father. When our physical person becomes weary, the Spirit is there to quicken our mortal bodies to go on. Romans 8.11 And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. We've been saying that a believer can receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit according to Acts 2.4 and receive a supernatural prayer language. The Holy Spirit in our spirit speaks through us in an unknown language, either a heavenly one or a foreign language of this earth, unto God on our behalf. Thank God we are not limited to our finite minds. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, is all-knowing and can set things in motion that will protect and provide for us and for others. All the believer has to do is yield themselves to the Spirit's promptings. Praying in tongues eliminates selfishness from entering our prayers. If I pray out of my own thinking, my prayers may be unscriptural and selfish. Romans 8.26 In the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us 
with groanings that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Dr. T.J. McCrossan, who is a noted professor of Greek, included this enlightening insight into the Greek word translated helps. This word means to take hold against together with. Let me say that again. It means to take hold against together with. So for example, if the Christian is battling sickness and disease attacking them, according to Romans 8.26, the Holy Spirit takes hold against our sicknesses together with us. With whom? Why? With ourselves. Dr. McCrossman was dealing with only one side of the problem, whether it's sickness, disease, whatever. But we can clearly see that the Holy Spirit helps by taking hold together with us against all the works of the evil one. We must take hold together with first, then the Holy Spirit will help us in our weaknesses, inability to produce results or ignorance or dullness, as stated in Luke 24.25. P.C. Nelson, the founder of the Southwestern Bible Institute, was a Greek scholar. He told his young ministers that the Greek literally reads, The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered in articulate speech. Articulate speech is the ordinary kind of speech. He pointed out that the Greek bears out that this not only includes groanings in prayer, but also other tongues. That agrees with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. People should be careful about making fun of speaking in tongues, because when a person prays in tongues, it is their spirit praying by the Holy Spirit who is within them. Thus, mockers actually are making fun of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit within us gives us the utterance to intercede. We speak it out of our spirit. By that method, the Holy Spirit is helping us pray according to the will of God for things that should be prayed for. Remember, the Holy Spirit is not going to do the praying for us. He was sent to help us, not to do it for us. We do the praying. He simply supplies the ability. The beauty of speaking in other tongues is that it provides a way for situations to be prayed for that no one knows about or thinks about. Since the Holy Spirit knows everything about everything, our intercession in other tongues could be making the difference in a life or death situation all across the world. Sometimes we may have an impression of who or what situation we are praying for, or other times we don't. Regardless of whether we know or not, our obedience to praying through until the unction lifts is absolutely critical. We should always continue interceding until we have a note of praise, of peace or rest, a note of victory, which means that we have reached our victory for whatever it is we are praying about. We will either laugh or be joyous or sing. Upon such confirmation, We can go on about what we were doing before the unction had come to pray. Important note, praying in tongues on a regular basis brings the tongue into subjection to our spirit. Since it is being yielded to our spirit on an ongoing basis, we will find speaking in our native tongue to be more wholesome. Personally, I have found the more I pray in tongues, the less I need to have to speak in English and put my foot in my mouth. If we can just learn to yield our tongue to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we can yield any member of our body. James 3 verse 2 and verse 8. We all stumble in many ways. 
If anyone is never at fault in what they say, they're a perfect person, able to keep their whole body in check. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Romans 6.13 Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. As those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. Here's a statement from John Wesley that is really amazing. It seems God is limited by our prayer life, that He can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks Him. Some people have built up spiritual air castles, that God is running everything in this world. He is not. Well, if He is, He sure has things in a mess. People are killing each other, little children are dying and going hungry. Women are suffering, and there are wars everywhere. God is not ruling in this world or this earth. Thank God he will one day in the future. The Bible says that currently, Satan or the devil is the God, small g, of this age, according to 2 Corinthians 4.14 and 1 John 5.19. Since Adam's fall and the devil usurping his authority, humanity has been overshadowed by the prince of the power of the air. The natural world groans under the oppression of the fall and the effects of sin. Until Adam's lease runs out, the law of sin and death is currently in operation. Almighty God is on the outside looking in, and it seems that he only intervenes as he is asked to. What is Adam's lease, you may ask? It is a biblical concept depicting the amount of time, beginning with God giving dominion to Adam in the Garden of Eden, to the time Jesus' second return, to rule and reign on the earth, and Satan is cast into the abyss. You can read that in Revelation chapter 20. Now in Matthew 8.28 it states, When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? In other words, God cannot legally do anything on the earth unless a human being invites him to. God cannot legally and justly move in and take away that dominion from the devil. Otherwise, he would be violating Adam's lease rule. When this time is over, Christ returns for his millennial reign. Some may ask, why did Jesus come to the earth 2,000 years ago and return to heaven? Israel was wondering the very same thing. Adam's lease had not yet been fully completed. Time is running out for the devil and his crowd. Jesus provided salvation for mankind so that not everyone would be lost. Yes, the devil was stripped of his authority over Christians, but the devil is still the small g God over sinners and this present world system that is passing away. Jesus came to fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies and usher in a new dispensation, the age of grace or the church age. John 12 verse 31 Jesus said, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all mankind to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up, We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say, The Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, before darkness overtakes you. The person who walks in the dark does not know where they're going. 
but your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons and daughters of the light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Acts one six. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Remember, we're talking about the need for intercession. The danger of sovereignty teaching is that it claims that God is in control of everything, therefore whatever happens must always be the will of God, the good, the bad, and the ugly. However, nothing could be further from the truth. For example, 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 says, Who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's will. So if God is in control of everything today, why not get everyone saved right now and wrap everything up and let's go on into the millennium? God will not violate his own word. Certainly, he is sovereign as the Bible teaches it from a biblical perspective. I believe this extreme sovereignty view dismisses the necessity for prayer, since it places fate as the supreme governor of humanity, very Calvinistic in origin. We must understand the truth that God needs us to pray and intercede in order for him to intervene into the affairs of mankind, thus holding back the forces of hell from ravaging the earth to its complete destruction. Right now, it is the prayers of the saints who are holding back World War III until the church of Jesus Christ is raptured out of this earth. Consider Daniel. It was his prayers that opened the door for God to fulfill his promise to Israel to set them free from captivity. Daniel chapter 9 verse 1 through 3 and verse 20 to 23. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last seventy years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you begin to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Consider the spiritual warfare that was going on in the spiritual realm over God's word to come to pass. The devil will try anything to block the fulfillment of God's promises from coming to pass or keep the kingdom of God from advancing. Our prayers make the difference every time. Now in Daniel chapter 10 verse 20, So Gabriel said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. Ephesians 6.12 For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Today, God is looking for intercessors who will stand in the gap for a lost humanity and for his kingdom on this earth. As born-again, spirit-filled Christians, 
we are in a position to become an army of intercessors that will allow God to shake this world for an end-time harvest. Ezekiel 22.30 And I sought for a man among them that they should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Before sinners get saved, some believer somewhere has interceded for them, that the spiritual blinders of Satan would be taken away. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. Even after people get saved, there is still the need to intercede for them. As we see in Galatians 4.19, Paul said, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Colossians 4.12 Ephraim, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Now, the prayer of intercession is only one kind of prayer, as stated in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. The Bible teaches several kinds of prayer and the different rules governing them. The church world makes a mistake in not differentiating between those different kinds of prayers. Unfortunately, they simply put all prayer in the same sack and shake it all together. Many prayers are not working because people are using the wrong rules and principles and spiritual laws that govern those prayers. The prayer of intercession is a prayer for others. An intercessor is one who takes the place of another or pleads another's case. There will always be the need for the Holy Spirit to intercede with groans and travailing, according to Romans 8, verse 26 and 27. So we may know the will of God in a situation, but only the Holy Spirit knows how to effectively present the need. There are circumstances in which we're not sure how to pray. We need the help of the Holy Spirit in intercession. In dealing with the sick, sometimes the Spirit of God will give us the unction for intercession, and other times He will not. There are reasons why people die young, but it is never God's perfect will according to the Word. If people will learn how to judge themselves and make adjustments, then they can avoid premature death. However, that is between them and God, no matter how much we want them to be healed. We cannot make the Holy Spirit do anything. Sometimes in making intercession for others against physical sickness, it will seem in our spirit, physically it is not so, that the same thing fastens itself upon our body, temporarily. That is because we are taking the place of another. Sometimes we will hurt like they hurt. We are identifying with them. Certainly, the goal is for believers to receive their own healing through faith in God's word. However, the laws that govern the operation of the prayer of faith do not govern the operation of the prayer of intercession. The prayer of faith is prayed primarily for oneself. It is not often that we can pray the prayer of faith for someone else without their faith being involved, unless they are a bona fide baby Christian. We can carry them temporarily on our faith in some instances. The prayer of faith doesn't always work in every situation. It is not designed to. If it were, that would be the only prayer we would ever need to pray. Thank God for the prayer of faith or the prayer of authority. We need all the other kinds of praying that the Spirit of God through the Word of God encourages us to pray. Great victories have been won through intercession. Great battles have been lost because we did not take the time to intercede. The same is true when making intercession for the lost. Sometimes we will know firsthand what it feels like to be lost and in their shoes. 
We take upon ourselves the condition the other person is in when we're in intercession. That person is lost, so we feel lost. The agony of spiritual separation will come on us in groans and cries as the Holy Spirit makes intercession for them. The Holy Spirit is continually searching throughout the body of Christ to find available yielded vessels he can use to keep folks from going to hell. There are prophetic implications to Mount Zion, the church, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 to 23, and her travail for the lost. We can't have spiritual births without having travail. The picture here is of a woman having a baby. It goes without saying that the sinner does not travail for themselves to be born again. The baby does not birth itself. But for true births out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, some intercessor somewhere has travailed. It is comparable to the pangs of natural childbirth. It involves real intercession. In travail, there is pain and there are deep groans. Sure, it is hard on the physical person. Isaiah 66, 8. Who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such things? Can a country be born in a day? Or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor or travail than she gives birth to her children. Remember, when it comes to the prayer of intercession, we need to pray through until we get the note of victory, which is when the burden to pray lifts and you feel light, wonderful, and blessed, peace and joy. Sometimes you will begin to sing in other tongues or laugh instead of groan. In other words, you have whatever it is you were praying about. Something here to note, that typically it is only once in a great while that you will know what or for whom you were praying for. The life of an intercessor is a life of suffering through sacrifice, dying to selfishness in order to serve the Master and humanity. We must be moved with compassion, otherwise we will never find the time or desire to yield to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Intercession is divine compassion flowing through us. That compassion comes by no other way than fellowship with God. Remember, intercession does not change God. God never changes. Prayer does not change God. Prayer changes us, others, and circumstances in life. It never changes God. God is on our side. He is not our problem. The Holy Spirit is helping us to bring salvation, deliverance, and healing to the situation. There is something out there in this area that we need to learn again. The art of intercession is a lost art among us. We'll never really have the depth of the move of the Spirit of God until we have that kind of intercession. Gifts versus Manifestations 1 Corinthians 12.1 Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. If the Spirit of God through Paul said he did not want the church at Corinth to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts, it goes without saying that he does not want the church today to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts either. Unfortunately, some Christians know nothing at all about them. Not even that such gifts exist. They think these gifts have been done away with. Paul may have addressed the subject with the church at Corinth, but the message is for the church universal and for the entire church age. As the body of Christ, we are to eagerly desire that the gifts of the Holy Spirit be made manifest among us and then leave it up to the Holy Spirit to use those whom he wills. Before we go much further, we must make a distinction concerning spiritual gifts, or more accurately, the nine manifestations of the Holy Spirit, as the NIV translation of the Bible puts it. We all know that God endows his children with special impartations of his grace, specifically enabling them to be able to minister in a certain capacity 
or function in the body of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10. Each one of you should use whatever gift he or she has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Romans 12.4 Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a person's gift is prophesying, let them use it in proportion to their faith. If it is serving, let them serve. If it is teaching, let them teach. If it is encouraging, let them encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. If it is leadership, let them govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let them do it cheerfully. These gifts or endowments and deposits come from God as part of our spiritual makeup. The Greek word for gifts is charisma, which means a spiritual endowment, religious qualification, or miraculous faculty, a gift. It is who we are and what we do instinctively by the grace of God. This divine empowerment was given by the foreknowledge of God, and we are the benefactors. These various gifts is what makes the body of Christ unique in its function and operation. The word gift in this context infers possession. We have this gift of God's grace as has been given to us by God to be good stewards over its use and development. One day, all of us will have to give an account to our faithfulness to these special gifts and graces from God. However, as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it becomes quickly apparent that the nine manifestations of the Spirit are not to be confused with the body of Christ motivational gifts. Certainly, the Holy Spirit will manifest Himself according to these nine methods through believers throughout the body of Christ and in various ways. But it needs to be clearly understood that these manifestations of the Holy Spirit are never the possession of the individual believer to operate whenever he or she sees fit. The Holy Spirit does not use full-time ministers exclusively in these manifestations, as the scriptures so eloquently states, 1 Corinthians 12.11. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Since these gifts are manifestations of the Spirit, it goes without saying that it is the Holy Spirit Himself who dispenses these supernatural operations. He alone is responsible for the working of God's power in the earth as the Father God determines for it to happen. It is absurd to think that a believer can make the Holy Spirit manifest in these various forms at their very whim. Even Jesus Christ Himself, while on the earth, was powerless without the Holy Spirit. After John's baptism in the Jordan River, the scriptures state that Jesus went in the power of the Spirit, Luke 4.14. Jesus is our model and example to follow, John 14.12. Let's read John 14.10 right now. Don't you believe that I am in the Father, Jesus said, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, 
How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So concerning the life and ministry of Jesus, it was the Father God through the Holy Spirit that was working all the signs and wonders. It is pure biblical error to adhere to the thought that the nine manifestations of the Spirit are on the same level as the motivational gifts of individual believers, as stated in Romans chapter 12, to suggest that God gives them to Christians to operate in as often as they want. No, the nine manifestations of the Spirit are as the Spirit wills, 1 Corinthians 12.11 in the New King James Version. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. This is important to note. Just because the Holy Spirit selects certain individuals to manifest himself through supernaturally does not mean that that individual has a corner on the market concerning that particular manifestation. The Holy Spirit may never in their lifetime ever manifest himself through them that way again. Certainly, at times, it appears that the Holy Spirit will use certain individuals more often in a certain way, but that still does not make it their gift to flow in whenever they want to. Christians who get deceived and claim that these manifestations of the Spirit as their own will invariably attract demonic spirits to accommodate them. Since they are forcing and pushing for this gift to operate in the flesh, Satan will deceive them into thinking that it is God when it's not. Let's now look at Old Testament versus New Testament operations. Whether we realize it or not, the Holy Spirit was very active in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. The only difference is that the manifestation of tongues and interpretation of tongues is unique to this dispensation we live in today. One can track all seven of the nine manifestations of the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament. We will show these examples later on as we define each manifestation of the Spirit using Old and New Testament examples in the next episode. It is very interesting to realize that the power of God can be categorized into these nine areas but they always function as God wills, not as we will. If Old and New Testament saints had a claim on any one of these manifestations of the Spirit, then every sick person would be made well. People would be walking on water all the time, stopping the rotation of the earth, and so on and so forth. We can readily see the wisdom of God as to why he does not put such infinite power indefinitely at the disposal of people on this earth no matter how spiritual they are in the Lord. Clearly, the purpose of such supernatural operations of God through people is to benefit hurting humanity. Yet, it is on an exception basis as determined by God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5-7 that we live by faith, not by sight. God has made provision for all things that pertain to life and godliness through our faith in the promises of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 All that we could ever need or want is found by mixing the word of God with simple faith. So what is the purpose then of the nine manifestations of the Spirit? Well, 1 Corinthians 12.7 says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. They are given by God to bless the entire church of the Lord Jesus Christ and also to minister to the world as a way of confirming the gospel. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, 
follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. We are told to ask God to manifest himself along these lines for his glory and our edification. Secondly, the manifestations of the Spirit are given to proclaim the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We read in the Great Commission that God would confirm his word with signs and wonders, Mark 16.20, and throughout the book of Acts, Acts of the Holy Spirit actually, These miraculous confirmations always met some kind of human need, but more importantly, they give credibility to the gospel message. What makes our faith different from any other religion in the world is that ours is alive with supernatural visitations from Almighty God through the nine manifestations of the Spirit. The lost do not have faith to get healed or to receive anything from God. They need these signs and wonders and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. While faith in the promises of God is for the believer, signs and wonders are primarily for the lost. Now, the church at Corinth had some peculiar things about it that do not exist among us today. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 2, You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. These folks had previously worshipped idols. Now, idol worship is motivated by the wrong spirit, or the demonic. Just read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 to 22. So concerning the good folks in Corinth, they said a lot of things in error. Church history tells us that some of them came into the Christian assembly, and when the Spirit of God began to manifest himself, They would say things under the influence of the wrong spirit, unconsciously yielding to evil spirits. Some of them would even arise in the service when the gifts of inspiration and utterance were in operation and would say that Jesus was accursed. Paul said that when the Holy Spirit is in operation, he will proclaim Jesus as Lord. If it is an utterance gift, then of course the Holy Spirit will say that Jesus is Lord. When any of the manifestations of the Spirit are in operation, They will always uplift the lordship of Jesus, not the lordship of some person. They will not attract attention to people, but rather to Jesus Christ. There are three categories to the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. First are the revelation manifestations that reveals something. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits. Next comes the power manifestations that do something. The working of miracles, gifts of healings, and special faith. And finally, the utterance manifestations that say something, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 it states, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. So we just talked about the Holy Spirit coming upon the believer as a separate and distinct experience received subsequent to the new birth when the Holy Spirit comes within the believer. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an endowment of power for fulfilling the Great Commission. Through this experience, the Holy Spirit will manifest himself in a powerful way for us to win the lost 
and live victorious Christian lives over the world, the flesh, and the devil. God bless. I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life Study Series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.